Today, our show is sponsored by Nutrafol. 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. If you are among them, know that you're not alone and there is a solution you can trust to deliver results. Thousands of women have taken back control of their hair with Nutrafol. Nutrafol offers targeted formulas for women that are clinically shown to improve hair growth and thickness with less shedding through all stages of life. Healthier hair growth takes time. You'll begin to experience thicker, stronger, faster growing hair in three to six months. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months of use. Nutrafol is physician-formulated to be 100% drug-free. They use medical-grade botanicals in consistently effective doses so you get the most reliable results. And no matter your stage in life, they have a solution. Nutrafol women's formulation is ideal if you're experiencing thinning hair loss caused by stress, dieting, overstyling, or environmental toxins. Their other formula, Women's Balance, is for additional hormone support for those with thinning hair through menopause. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code SELFIE to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, you get free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com. That's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com with the promo code SELFIE. Today's sponsor is EveryPlate. Initially, I thought meal kits had to be expensive, that they were kind of a splurge. But as it turns out, every plate is more affordable than groceries. Their quality ingredients come pre-portioned to help you save money and reduce food waste, you know, like the bag of spinach that I throw out every single week. You can skip the store and let every plate plan, shop, and deliver everything you need to cook a delicious meal at a consistently low price. For me, in the summer, I'd rather be out enjoying the sunshine than cooking. Every plate helps me do just that. Simple, stress-free recipes come together in just six steps and are ready in about 30 minutes or less. You can choose between 17 recipes that change every week and swap proteins and sides to your liking, so you can switch up dinner routines however you want. Every plate helps me experience more of my favorite things in life by saving me time and money, which means more money towards vacations, concerts, the list goes on. You can choose from classic plate, veggie plate, family plate, and easy plate preferences to serve up crowd-pleasing meals night after night. Try every plate for just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering the code SELFIE179. Again, that's $1.79 per meal at everyplate.com with the code SELFIE179. Hey everyone, I'm Kristen Howerton, a writer and a psychotherapist. And I'm Rue Powell, an admitted workaholic and self-care Luddite. And you are listening to Selfie, a weekly podcast about women learning to take better care of themselves. We think self-care is important, but it can simultaneously be elusive. We don't lack information about it, but we don't always quite get there. So this podcast is dedicated to exploring different aspects of self-care, from the silly to the serious. We're looking at health, relationships, beauty, periods, and maybe a touch of the random. We also want to look at the hurdles we face that keep us from caring for ourselves like we should. To submit questions to me or Rue, or to Claire, our beauty expert, or BJ, our resident therapist, join us in our private forum by searching Selfie Podcast Community on Facebook. Hey guys, well today we're going to be chatting with Jessica Bacall. She is the author of the new book, The Rejection That Changed My Life. And she is going to help us normalize rejection and share what she learned interviewing a ton of powerful and interesting women about their own rejection experiences. BJ and I are also going to talk about the difference between victimhood and victimization and what to do when you're feeling stuck. But first, hey, Rue. Hey, Kristen, how are you? How's your self-care going? 
Um, it's going, it's going pretty well. I, um, I'm having one of those seasons where I'm like trying to do all my doctor visits. Oh, okay. So lots of doctor's appointments. I'm currently sitting here with a patch test on my back because we're testing for skin allergies now. (laughs) Very exciting. Um, but I will give a pro tip for anyone who ever does patch testing. So you can't shower once they do it and you have to wait two days. So I'm on day three of my hair. I've made so, a mistake. <laughs> is it, well, <laughs> I was going to say, do you, have, do you have like a really wonderful dry shampoo option or is it just? Mm, it's going to be rough. I yeah. might be doing the old leaning over the bathtub. Right, right. I know, I know some you... people can go longer. I Three days is really pushing it for me. My hair is so dry. I can yeah. probably do. I, I mean, I can do. If I needed to, I could go, you know, for an absurdly long amount of time. Yeah. You can't just put on a hat and call it a day. I might have to. Well, yeah. no, because I have clients. Like, I can't wear a hat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> One of those cool hats that you can wear indoors. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I take your point. If it was fall, maybe, but it's spring. Well, what, other, what other appointments are you stacking up right now? Well, I actually just changed my insurance plan, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I had a dermatology appointment, an ENT appointment for my TMJ, um, a gastroenterologist appointment because I am still having GERD, which I've had forever. Mm. Um, and then what was the other one? Derm allergist, uh, ear, nose, and throat. That is a lineup. Exciting times over here. Very I exciting you, times. I think that those things – so appointments are – I'm terrible at appointments. Yeah. And so I think I have to incentivize myself with something nice at the end of a day or two of that. I did, actually. I just got myself Chipotle, which I'm very Yum. excited about. Um, and then I feel like I'm like – I feel like I've reached adulting because I've made all the doctor's appointments – um, we are a couple days away from tax day, which got pushed back to May 17th. I mm-hmm. have done my taxes, <gasps> like like with time to spare. I bow down. And the bigger, the biggest, the biggest one right here. I already changed my clock when in my car to the time moving forward, which I usually just don't even do. Like I usually just, it's wrong for half the year. Right. You know, the digital clock in your car. Right. It's right. just like oddly difficult. Mine is oddly difficult to um to set. And I've Yeah, I've the set user it. experience is always terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. It's like yeah. And, and so I've I've set that. Like I'm a I'm a grown up. I'm a you're grown up now. you're in charge of your life, man. I, I um so we had an extra month and I definitely just asked my accountant to file an extension. So <laughs> Which is fine, which is fine. I'm just uh, feeling I'm feeling happy about having that out of the I'm way. I'm so impressed. I'm so impressed. That almost feel really good too. It does. Well, especially, you know, Enneagram three. We oh, yeah. love like, to check things off our list. Look at all the things I accomplished. Yeah, I that's awesome. It's very exciting. How about you? Um, well, I would say that you got good grades this week and my grades are less good. But and I was being so ambiguous about this before. And unfortunately, I need to be ambiguous about it for a while. I just wrapped a TV show. You did. So and uh, and I know you can't say all about it yet. But I'm just gonna say it's a really big deal. Like the TV show 
and this subject matter is all a really big deal. I feel I feel really good about it and hopefully my my agent doesn't listen to this podcast and yell at me for saying, you know, that I've finished rapping. I think it'll be fine. I think it's fine because I didn't I didn't get into it. Um so now we're in post-production mm-hmm. and which is I mean I'm learning so much about the TV industry right now. Um I bet. and I'm just, you know, fingers crossed that if you want to, you can see me on your TV later this year. I'm so excited. I can't yeah. wait till you can tell everyone what you've been doing. I know. I'm really I'm really excited for that too. I think my mom's tired of me being super ambiguous also. <laughs> She's like, "What are you doing? Working?" That's on really what? funny. Stuff. Yeah. Um so that schedule was really awful. Like the filming schedule's been really really hard. So I am easing into not doing that filming schedule. So I yeah. am um I'm still I'm still working, but I don't I I miss waking up really early and going to bed really early. So I'm trying to get back into that. But I will say one thing that I've done for myself that I usually wouldn't do, like, usually if I end something the next day, I'm like, okay, now I'm going to wake up early and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this, 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 this. And I, to my, I mean, I'm patting myself on the back for this. I'm allowing myself to do it very gently. So instead of wake up at five, go to the gym, da, 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 da. I'm going to wake up at 730. I'm going to try to hit 5,000 steps today. Yes. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have a vegetable. So I've been doing that slowly and I, I feel I feel pretty good about it. Um, I mean, I had to travel too because we ended up having to film something somewhere else. So I got home, you know, I've only been home for a couple days and I'm still like, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of in that uh, re-entry where you're just yeah. kind of in a daze. So I'm still there, but um, I've been keeping myself busy and I've been focusing on, I've been prioritizing sleep and, you know, taking off my makeup and uh, at least eating like one or two vegetables a day. And that's all I'm going to make myself do right now. That's good. Yeah, that, but, those are good baby steps. But I will say because of filming, I was like, oh, I'll definitely be able to do my taxes in time. I did not. So, <laughs> Well, I think you have a pretty good excuse. I was not, I was not doing a TV show. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, other people do stuff all the time and they can True. still get their taxes done. So I'm just hoping, yeah, well, I'll, I'll figure it out. I think my accountant's just super done with me because every year it's always something. I'm like, hey, so this year uh, I burned all of my receipts in a fire. Uh, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> so I, it is a miracle that I have not been audited. Um, and my accountant is just like, all right, just send me the stuff. Okay, it's fine. He does that thing where he no, no longer says goodbye in emails. He just ends with like a period and the period is super judgmental. So He's mad. Well, I think – I don't think he's mad. I think he's disappointed. <laughs> oh, that's worse. That's way worse. I know. That's terrible. Two, two years ago, I straight up cried in his office because oh. I screwed something up with paperwork. And he did not know what to do. He was like, there, there. Don't be cry. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So anyway, um, anyway, what are your two thumbs up for the week? Well, it's funny because my first one, I think you may have mentioned on the show before – it's Waxeline. Did you talk about Waxeline before? No, I don't think that was Maybe me. Maybe it was Sarah. So, okay, Waxeline is basically it's Vaseline, but it's plant-based. Because you know Vaseline's made of petroleum jelly, which, you know, is a little odd. So Waxeline's made from soy oil. Um, and, you know, you just buy it in a jar. But we got a jar recently. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because my kids are obsessed with it. 
they're Whoa, putting why? it on everything. It's just like if they get a scrape, they put the wax lean on it. They put it on their faces. They use it as moisturizer. They use it for lip balm. Like India carries it around all the time. It's really nice. I mean, it's just – it's like a nice, natural, unscented balm, you know, for your eczema patches, your lips, your everything. And it's just nice and moisturizing and it's clear. I really like it. I'll have to get that because um, we've been using the – I don't even know how to pronounce the brand. The Waleda, 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 the skin food. Oh, um, yeah. And it, and it is kind of pricey. And I've seen Waxlene before at – it was um, a natural trade show. Oh, the one that I went out uh, – I went with you too. Oh, yeah. Um, out in uh, California. Um, so I've seen them before and I also didn't realize that I was putting – I, I didn't realize how not great Vaseline is. I know. Um, so, yeah, this is great. I'm going to have to grab it because right now it's like eczema season for us. Same. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Even Kembe, who never has eczema, has like eczema on his face. It's so dry out here it's, right now. It's, you know what it is, too? It's just we just haven't gotten used to the in, intense hand washing. Like our hands are just yeah. still it's like rough. sandpaper. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. rough. I mean, I don't know that you can get used to that. But, yeah, Waxlene is also a very nice – hand cream you can you can use it for everything it's like my big fat greek wedding when they were putting windex Windex on everything now our family's like oh put waxlene on it perfect um and then my second one is i have a new um daytime cream that i'm really liking it's the my shell which is a brand i've talked about before i really Mm -hmm. like this brand but it's just their high how do you say hyaluronic is that how you say that it's like i think you kind of like the A is a very light, it's like a hyaluronic. Hyaluronic, which I like. I like hyaluronic acid. It's not, it's, you know, nowhere close to salicylic. Is that how you say that one? How do we say all the acids? I think that's right. Salicylic, okay. salicylic is right. So yeah. it's, not like, it's not like salicylic where it kind of sloughs things off. It's, it's a very moisturizing acid and it's supposed to, you know, slough off very gently. It has plant stem cells in it. It's very light. And I like it because it it doesn't, um, you know how sometimes you can put a moisturizer on and then if you put foundation on top, it, it looks layered, you know? Yes. Yes. Or for me, sometimes it pills if it yes. has like a lot of silicone in it. Yeah. And so this lotion is, I don't know, It's it sounds weird to say drier, but it just, it feels like it dries very matte as a very nice, like, surface for makeup. Oh, so it's like a nice base, yeah. I think so, yeah. So anyway, I'm really liking that one. It's not too expensive. Um, I mean, I would say it's similar to some other high-end brands, but this one I think is 25 or 30 bucks. And it looks like it smells good, too. It does. It's nice. And it has pretty packaging, which, you know, I mean. You know, I'm always a bonus. That. What do you have? Um, well, I have a book that I got for Mother's Day, and it was on, it's been on my wish list, but it's Daily Rituals, Women at Work. And it is, they're just really short profiles of 143 artists on how they paint, write, perform, direct, choreograph, design, sculpt, compose, dance, etc. Oh, and cool. it's really funny because he came out with a Daily Rituals a few years back, and he realized he made the mistake of only making 17% of them women. So he decided to make a, he said, he decided to do a mea culpa uh-huh. and made this one all about women. And it's really interesting. I'm just opening the book now because I wanted to have it here. Some of them um, are people from long ago, people modern day. So um, Nina Simone and Coco Chanel and Louisa May Alcott. Um, and it's just what, what do they do? 
like what's their little ritual during yeah. the day that they use to help work, which I'm obsessed with that sort of thing. Um, Emily Post, Emily Dickinson, Shirley Jackson. So there's a lot of, yeah, and it's been a fun, it's it's, it's kind of like a, a lighter read because you can just take it in little baby. It's like a devotional, but about women. <laughs> it's like one page I love each. that you said that because like all evangelicals or ex-evangelicals will be like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, oh, I, I oh, get, it. get it's it. It's like now. a little reading a day. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, Harriet Beecher Stowe. Um, oh, that's and it's, cool. Yeah, it's neat. It's a, especially if you have, like, if you know, I think it would make a great graduation gift I for would. someone graduating graduation college gift. or something. Mm-hmm. But I like it and it's nice. And I, I'll read like a couple before bed, which I, which I like. So that's a, a book that I'm really enjoying. And the other is this. So I am not super bougie about skincare, but mm-hmm. I do pay attention to skincare, uh, particularly because I deal with a lot of hyperpigmentation like if my skin has just a little bit of trauma where it's like a baby breakout or a little cut I will scar and it'll it'll be dark so I have Mm -hmm. to I'm constantly like vitamin c sunscreen vitamin c sunscreen and then I wear makeup and especially while I was filming I was wearing so much makeup just more makeup than I've ever worn ever and in order to get all of that off, I wanted something that wouldn't also hurt my face, you know, because mm-hmm. it's just it's not kind to my skin to just layer all this makeup on and then I'm scrubbing it off. So um, I had been using a really expensive uh, cleanser, which was by which is by Fresh. And I really ha- was having a hard time justifying it. So I found so Coco Kind is a brand I'm familiar with. It is um, National Asian American Pacific Islander Month, and this is a brand that is was founded by an Asian woman, uh, Priscilla Sai. So Coco Kind is, you know, all organic, and they have some like you'll see it at Whole Foods. Like yeah, they have like I've a, a, a match stick, right? Yeah. The oil to milk cleanser is very, 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 very good. Mm. It takes off all of my makeup, and it it's like um. It almost it almost feels like a solid, and then you, it emulsifies, and it's really <laughs> nice, and it takes off all of uh, my makeup. And then I had to travel, and I just decanted a little bit into a tiny little pot, and it traveled really, really well because it wasn't like something sloshing around. It was almost like a cream, and then once I put it into my hand and warmed it up, then it turned into like a milk cleanser. Great for taking off makeup. Very much recommend. Okay, I'm looking at this on Amazon right now. All or a number of the Coco Kind products are twenty four percent off on Amazon right now, including the one you just mentioned. So we will we will link up to those. They have a Coco Kind Glow Essence, a facial toner, um, and they all have excellent fonts. You know, which is important. So I spoke with her very briefly a, a couple years ago. Um, I, we were connected on LinkedIn through someone. I'm not quite sure, but I was just really kind of impressed with this brand that she's building, and of course with everything um, going on in the past months with Asian hate crimes. I think it's important for us to kind of, you know, celebrate um, yes. Asian-owned brands when we can. 100. So when I was a teen learning to shave my legs, my mom did not do me any favors by buying me really cheap disposable razors. If you grew up in as a teen in the 90s, you know the ones, and they left nicks and cuts all over me when I was trying to shave. So 
With two girls learning how to shave their legs right now, I am committed to making sure that they have good quality razors. Guys, I was probably well into my 30s before I realized the difference a quality razor makes. Today's sponsor is Athena Club. They have great razor kits that we have been using in our house for a couple months. The razor blades are awesome. They are surrounded by this water-activated serum that has shea butter and hyaluronic acid, so you get a slicky smooth shave that actually leaves your skin soft and hydrated as opposed to stripped dry. And their blades are spaced out to let hair and shave cream pass through easily so you don't have to make a ton of passes going over and over the skin to remove the hair. Fewer passes means less irritation to your skin, which cuts down on razor burn and ingrown hairs. The razor kit is only $9 with free shipping and it comes with two blade cartridges, a cute little magnetic hook for your shower storage, and your choice of a handle color. I personally chose the coral, but what I really like about it is they have a ton of different colors, black, white pastel neon. So if you have a big family like mine, everyone can have the razor in their own color so you don't get them confused. What I also love about Athena Club, you guys know I love automating things. You never have to worry about dull blades because they send refills on your schedule. You just choose how often you want them and they will send them automatically with free shipping. I would also highly recommend their cloud shave foam too. It's insanely thick and stays on while you shave so you don't have to reapply. It leaves your skin feeling very moisturized. It's really, really good. If you want to try a great quality razor that cuts down on the wastefulness of disposable razors, try Athena Club Razor Kit. You can get 20% off your first order at athenaclub.com with the promo code SELFIE. That's A-T-H-E-N-A-C-L-U-B.com with the promo code SELFIE for 20% off. We've talked a lot about skincare on the show and specifically tretinoin. If you're not familiar, it's a retinoid, which is an active vitamin A derivative that's used to improve the texture, tone, and appearance of the skin. Today's sponsor, Dear Brightly, has a product called Night Shift, and tretinoin is the active ingredient in Night Shift. This is the only FDA-approved retinoid for treating photoaging, which is premature skin aging due to long-term sun exposure. Tretinoin stimulates collagen production to prevent and treat signs of premature skin aging from years of sun damage, things like fine lines and wrinkles, dark spots, uneven skin tone, and big pores. Tretinoin can only be acquired through a prescription, but it's 20 times more potent than the -the over-the-counter retinol products. It's one of the most well-researched ingredients with over 50 years of research behind it for both acne and photoaging. I had a chance to try Night Shift, and I'm really liking it. I have the unfortunate experience of having both breakouts and wrinkles at the same time, and it's great for both. I have seen my fine lines decreasing. I've seen my skin tone looking better, and it feels really nice. If you've used an over-the-counter retinol before, you know it's really great, but a dermatology-grade retinoid is even better. Night Shift is their dermatologist-formulated serum that's tailored to your skin by doctors online. Dear Brightly works by you first of all starting by sharing your skin story with them, then a doctor evaluates your skin and your skin history. They then tailor your formula and write a prescription, if applicable, and your tailored serum will be delivered to you in the mail. It's super simple and easy. Head to www.dearbrightly.com and enter the promo code SELFIE to get 15% off your first order, which is their very best offer anywhere. That's S-E-L-F-I-E to get 15% off your first order at dearbrightly.com. 
Now a word from one of our sponsors. It's a great time to make health and wellness a priority again. Care of makes it easy to upgrade your health routine, whether you're looking for energy, better sleep, or just coping with stress. Care of's online quiz lets you know exactly what you need in the way of vitamins. You answer easy questions like, how much sleep are you getting? Are you looking for more energy? Do you need something to help support weight management? It's a very personalized quiz to help you with your own customized science-backed recommendations for daily vitamins. It can be really hard to know what vitamins and supplements you should be taking, but Care of makes it very easy. What I really love about Care of is that they deliver the vitamins and supplement packs in a customized box right to your door every month. The packaging is super cute. You have a packet that you take every single day. I've been using it for several months and it truly has helped me up my game. If you'd like to try it, take 50% off your first Care of order by going to takecareof.com and enter the code SELFIE50. That's takecareof.com and the code SELFIE50. Today's episode is sponsored by Usual Wines. Usual Wines are wines for the modern drinker. They make single-serving wines in adorable glass bottles. Each bottle is 6.3 ounces, which is a heavy pour or about a glass and a half of wine. It's ideal for when you don't want to open a whole bottle or when you're in a group setting or on a date and you want different varieties of wines. Because of the single-serve format and the bottle design, Usual is always fresh. No more flat, bubbly, or stale wine. They're great for travel, great for girls' nights or date nights, and they are perfect for gifts. Usual Wines has several varieties. They have a red blend, a rosé, which is my personal favorite, and a sparkling white wine. They're made from world-class AVAs in California, like Napa, Sonoma, and they're made with minimal intervention, so there's zero sugar and zero additives. They also have a usual spritz, which is a low-alcohol, low-calorie wine spritzer made of sparkling wine juice and guava juice. It's a classy option for those of us who like seltzers. Each serving has just 83 calories. And the wines are low-carb with zero grams of sugar. You can check out their website at www.usualwines.com and you can use our discount code SELFIE for $8 off your first order and your first glass on us. That's code SELFIE at usualwines.com for $8 off your first order. I'm looking forward to today's conversation with Jessica Bacall. She is the author of a recent book, The Rejection That Changed My Life, 25 Powerful Women on Being Let Down, Turning It Around, and Burning It Up at Work. Well, Jessica, we are so excited to be chatting with you today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, you've written a book that, I mean, the minute that that I even heard the title, I was like, yes, I need to read this. The Rejection That Changed My Life. <laughs> 25 plus powerful women on being let down, turning it around and burning it up at work. What made you decide you wanted to write a book about rejection and explore this topic? Well, uh, a few years ago, I experienced my own major rejection. Um, Uh I was applying for a big job at Smith College, um, where I work. And um, I... Basically, um, there was a reorganization and a job running a major center came up and I put myself out there, which meant, you know, writing a 
a long uh, cover letter with a vision for the center and doing a public presentation. And um, just to give you a sense of my anxiety, I <laughs> like hired an outside coach to help me mm. to, like work on my public speaking. And on this one day where I went and practiced with her, I parked my car and then went to another space to practice with other colleagues um, on campus who had gathered to help me refine my my public talk. And when I went back to my car later in the day, I had left the motor running all day. Oh my like, gosh. I was just so oh, like I'm so distracted and yes. anxious. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then uh, someone else got the job. So when I found out that someone else got this job, I felt... Uh, hurt and humiliated because all these people on campus who knew me would know that I right. had not gotten this job. Right. People, this wasn't just a private rejection. This was... Right. It was kind of Involving public. colleagues, yeah. Yeah, people who knew me well who had uh-huh. interviewed, people who knew me and had interviewed me. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, I also felt a little relieved. There was this um, <laughs> little piece of me that was relieved. And I thought, you know, maybe... I didn't want this job after all. And hmm. maybe, you know, rejection is kind of a more layered and complex experience than we think of it as, you know, and, yeah. and maybe it would be inter- like interesting to um, interview people about it. Yeah. And, you know, one of the themes that, you know, comes up in your book is also just that rejection is really, it, it's it's kind of a natural part of life. Like it's a normal, yeah. natural part of life and especially for anyone who has had a lot of success and we don't see mm-hmm. that part and I really love that you exposed that. Yes. Yeah, I mean that's true and you know, I think that um sometimes for people who are uh, really successful, they they've had so many rejections that they almost they can't even isolate one um mm-hmm. to talk about. Um like the, this one woman who uh, is an actress, Alicia Reiner, who I interviewed um, in the book. She, you know, rejection is just part of life as an actress. Yes. And um, so she, you know, she was like, oh, I have to really think about it because I'm just being rejected constantly, mm-hmm. you know, but there were people in, in other lines of work too. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there, I mean, there are a lot of forward facing jobs that where rejection is just inherent. I mean, I wrote a book. And it was, you know, I was trying to sell it two years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And there was one particular publishing house that had expressed interest. And to me, they were the perfect fit. Like, oh, my gosh, this is so natural. And this is who I want to be with. And yeah, they passed. They were like, mm, yeah, we're good. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, eventually I went on to write a book with a publishing house that I've loved. But, you know, yeah. so many jobs, whether it's writing grants or doing auditions or pitching things you've written, so many mm-hmm. jobs involve just a lot of rejection. Yes. There was um I talked to the comedian Sam Jay who talked about getting booed off stage numerous oh, times um, <laughs> when she was starting out in comedy. And I talked to uh, a psychiatrist who, when she applied to medical school, it's actually a, kind of an amazing story because she had a toddler and then had another baby right before she went to medical school. But while she was applying, uh, she was part of a study group that uh, was really supporting her. And um, they all applied together. And she applied to 17 schools. She was the only person in the group who 
didn't get into a single school. She was rejected oh, from all gosh. 17. But she's, you know, mm-hmm. she went back and she uh, she's like, I'm going to really, I'm going to give myself three tries. Yeah. And she ended up getting in and she is a successful psychiatrist. I love so. it. So you wrote this book and, you you know, you made the choice to make it specific to women. What mm-hmm. aspects of rejection do you think are unique or even uniquely difficult for women? You know, I'm not – I should have a really good answer to that. It's more just because I I was more interested in talking to women. I work, I work at a historically women's college. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, my students are mostly um, female-identified uh, young people, uh, young women. And, um, you know, there is some research that um, women – uh, are more ruminative than men. Like we mm-hmm. are more likely mm-hmm. to dwell. Well, you know this because yeah. you're a therapist, right? Yes. <laughs> um, so that, that women are, are uh, more likely to be ruminative on, um, you know, things that have gone wrong or ways that they might have failed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the other thing that was, I didn't want to have this book make people think, um, oh, there's something in women that needs to be fixed yeah. or there's something, you know, worse about women. So they need this encouragement more, you know, yeah. women, um, there's all, and there's all this, these kind of myths out there about how women don't take risks, but the most recent research, um, which is out of UMass, uh, Boston, this, this economist, feminist economist, um, named Julie Nelson shows that, there's like a 95% overlap in men's and women's risk-taking, mm. you know, that, um, you know, what gets published are these stories of, oh, women are less likely to take risks. But I, you know, it's not really true. And um, so you'd think, oh, maybe women don't want to be rejected. I think it's more, okay, what's the reason for me? The reason that I wanted to focus on women um, is because I think women experience more bias in the workplace because mm-hmm. uh, women's stories aren't out there. Yeah. Um, and because I think women really respond to the mentorship of other women. I mean, I've seen this. Yes. Um, I've seen this at Smith. I see it with my students. So. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, too. I mean, there's, you know, a meme going on right now that talks about like, oh, to have the confidence of a white man, you know, mm-hmm. which is a joke, obviously. But and I'm not speaking from out of any research, purely anecdotal, yeah. but it it does feel like women experience rejection very acutely mm-hmm. and maybe more than men, you know, and I don't mm-hmm. know if, if that's our socialization. Again, I agree. It's not that we've we've got some inherent flaw, but I think we've just kind of been socialized to be perfectionistic, to to feel yeah. like we can't make mistakes where men mm-hmm. can. Um, yeah, I don't know that. Just- yeah, I think that's true. I think women, you know, are socialized to be approval seeking, yes, approval seeking, yes, and communal, it. and yeah. want connection, and um, you know, rejection is a really stark example of, yeah. um, you know, not getting approval. Yes, I so. completely agree. I think that approval seeking yeah. is a big, a big piece of it. So you know, f- for those of us myself included, you know, that yeah. have that anxiety around rejection. And I know it's, you know, it's easy to to say like, oh, you know, it's just let's normalize rejection. It's a part of life. But for those of us that have that deep seated like, ah, you know, did you did you find any kind of resounding tips or best practices mm-hmm. for reducing that anxiety? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a few. I think that um, I really like the research from Ethan Cross, who um, he has this new book called Chatter. He's a psychologist who talks about um, how important it is to be aware of the way in which we talk to ourselves and um, that, you know, you can talking to yourself or about yourself um, in an encouraging way. Uh, makes a difference, mm-hmm. um, or writing about yourself. I actually have an exercise in the back of the book that I do with students where, uh, you know, I invite them to to write about themselves in the third person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it links to, you know, self-compassion, which a lot of your listeners probably um, have heard about. You know, mm-hmm. this, this woman, Kristen Neff, who talks about the importance of letting yourself uh, feel bad in the moment, but also, you know, talking to yourself like you'd talk to a close friend, um, you know, not saying, oh, of course you were rejected, you know, you're yeah. such a loser, but, you know, being kind to yourself. Such a good um, practice. Like, you know, if this happens to everyone, um, you're going to be okay. Just being really nice to yourself. And yeah. and then the third element of self-compassion is, um, you know, thinking about the way in which rejection connects you to other people. So I think often we feel isolated when we experience rejection and we feel like, oh, this is um, this is happening to me and I feel kind of ashamed and it kind of separates me from other people. But, you know, in fact, because rejection is so universal, it, it connects you to the human experience and to the, yeah. something that um, we all experience. So so that's, you know, that's one way just in terms of the social psychological research. Um, but the other thing I heard in my interviews was starting to see rejection as data. You know, I, I think that mm-hmm. um, we can give ourselves after maybe the initial bad feelings, we can get a little space by looking at the rejection and thinking about what data can it give us. So in my case, there was this emotional data. Um, when I was rejected from this job at Smith, it's like, I felt a little bit relieved and that is data. Like, you know, maybe I don't want this job. Maybe this is not what I want to do. Um, but people talked about, you know, having articles rejected and, you know, noticing patterns of where they're, um, where certain co-authors were more successful. This was like an academic uh, who was trying to publish and, you know, seeing things being more likely to be accepted when they wrote with some people, but not with others, Um, you know, all different kinds of ways, you know, and then of course, just this basic way of getting data from rejection, you know, when you apply for a job or uh, send out a piece of writing or anything, just asking for feedback. You know, what yeah. can you tell me what I could do better next time? That's mm-hmm. a really basic way. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How about, you know, for marginalized women, for women of color, how, how does this dynamic play out for them as well? You know, I think what is especially hard for um, marginalized women is that um, often there's a rejection that happens that they they think they don't know. Is it about me or is it about the fact that there's some bias in a hiring process or in the way a decision is being made that's impacting me and I, I don't even know? Um, someone in my book, uh, Laura um, Weidman Powers, talks about looking for a job in Silicon Valley 
And she went to Harvard and she had an MBA from Stanford and she had work experience and yet she wasn't even getting interviews or if she was getting interviews, she wasn't getting the job. And, um, you know, looking back in the moment, she just thought, oh, this is, this sucks. Like, um, this is really annoying and Mm -hmm. stressful and depressing. But, you know, looking back, she thinks, well, you know, on my resume, they could see I was part of the Black Students Union at Harvard. Like, mm. they could tell I was a Black woman. Uh-huh. And how much did that impact uh, my experience? And there's no way to know, you know. But yeah. um, I do think that, you know, this is where the, um, support is so valuable. You know, finding people in your industry, you know, even competitors, even people who um, – you know, if you're an entrepreneur, for example, people who are trying to get into the, into the same industry, but you know, anyone who you feel like could support you and um, and lean on them and get advice and build your network that way, I think I think that's one um, one thing I heard in my interviews. And and then the other you know piece is, you know, using that really being aware of of um, you know what's gathering data. Um, within the workplace or within an interview process. And um, if you do think something might be coming from bias, really taking notes. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's where, you know, women talking openly with each other, I mean, as you mentioned, it it helps because then we can start to see patterns when we're open with Mm -hmm. each other. You know, we, we note what is working and what isn't working. We note, you know, when there are salary differences, you know, when we can yeah. be more open about things and more transparent, it it keeps things more accountable. Yeah, that's such a good point. I hadn't I hadn't thought of that, but I love the idea that yeah, the fact of the collective data that yeah. we gather when we share stories together. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, but you know, I I really like this this kind of theme that emerged in the book too of just like when we're rejected, I, I feel like we're telling ourselves that we should be embarrassed, that we should be ashamed, but like it actually makes us relatable. And, you know, it's it's funny the things I tell myself when I'm rejected, which is, you know, again, I should be embarrassed. This is the worst. Versus when I see another woman being open about rejection, I'm drawn to her. I'm drawn mm-hmm. to that. I'm. It's attractive. It's like, Oh my gosh, we relate. I your vulnerability is appreciated. Um, you know, so it's it's as you said, it's like talking to yourself like a friend instead of mm-hmm. like the way we talk to ourselves because being open it, it, it is attractive, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really true. And you know, I, I see that in my students. I mean, just last night we were wrapping up the semester and students were sharing these final narratives about, you know, their how they imagine their paths through college and beyond. And there was a lot of um, worry, but a lot of vulnerability uh, about that worry. And they, I felt like it, um, it was just this really beautiful space where people were listening to each other and, um, I would love for people to be able to do that more. And in a certain way with the book, I was trying to kind of offer, you know, to women beyond Smith, the kind of mentorship that I think students at a women's college get from each other and from, mm. you know, a lot of the grownups around them. I love that. Yeah, I, I love this kind of 
move to normalize rejection. And I, I feel like your book was really powerful in that. Another fun aspect of your book is that many of the women who wrote their stories are reading their own stories in the in the audio version? You know, it's actually actors. Um, but oh. uh, so they, um, there's, so I read the intro and then the introductions to each uh, chapter. But then they did try to find actors who uh, might sound like the, oh, uh, interesting. like the participants. So for example, Kate Mann, um, she's a philosopher from Australia and they found an actress <laughs> with an Australian accent. Yeah. That's fun. That's yeah. fun. I'm an audiobook junkie, so I love <laughs> I love when they're done well. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find the book? Um, any bookstore, mm-hmm. any place you get your books. Um, online, you can um, jessbacall.com is my personal website, and um, I hope people like it. Fantastic. And we will, of course, link to your book and your website. Um, on our show notes as well. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks, Kristen. Well, today, BJ and I are going to be talking about the difference between victimhood and victimization. We hear both of those words used a lot. Um, I think that there tends to be a negative connotation with victimization, but at the same time, we know that Many people are survivors and that can be an aspect of life and something that people acknowledge. So BJ, talk to me about the difference between these two things. Well, you know, part of what prompted my idea about this was I, have you ever had um, a friend or met someone that no matter what you said, there was no way of encouraging them. Mm -hmm. Yes. Things are going bad in their life and, you know, you empathize and you say kind things, but there's nothing you can say that makes it better. And no matter what suggestion or guidance you offer, it won't work. It won't work. Well, I've tried that. I've tried that three, 10 times. I've done Mm -hmm. that nine times. And I recently had an encounter like this and I felt so helpless and it's that that's victimhood. That's that belief that I have been victimized by someone or something. And now I am a victim. I'm a mm-hmm. victim of my circumstances. I'm a victim of someone's, you know, rejection or abandonment. Um, maybe even God. Um, it's, it's just a lot of disappointment mm-hmm. that they can't move past and they're stuck in feeling like they are, they are, their identity is being a victim. And I think they don't even want to get out of it, I think. Yeah. And it's, it's that difference between, you know, circumstances and situations, which all of Mm -hmm. us will be in a, you know, in a situation where we may have, we may feel victim to our circumstances versus this narrative or sort of framework for life where everything's always going wrong for you, you can't ever win. Yeah. There's even a, of course, that happened. Yes. Because nothing ever goes right for me. This is very much connected to self-worth. Um, yeah. But it can also be connected to, to trauma in that people, some, there's a level of resilience that we're born with. And sadly, it's a lottery. We don't have any way 
it's not an equal thing. We mm-hmm. don't all get a measure mm-hmm. and it's equal to everyone else. Some of us are much more resilient than others. And we have the ability to develop resilience and some of us do, and some of us don't. And the person who gets really caught up in being a victim and feeling that having lots of expectations that never get met, um, feeling like nothing ever goes right in their life um, are usually people who are really stuck into this mindset, but there are also people who have a low level of resilience on the other side is the victimization. And that's the person who's actually been victimized. Mm-hmm. And I, right now I'm reading a book called The Choice. Actually, my oncologist recommended it to me. And it's written by a woman who is 90 years old. She's still alive and she is a victim of the Holocaust. Mm. And she was literally, she and her, when they went to Auschwitz, it was her and her sister and her parents. Her father went in one direction and they have no idea what happened to their father their mother went straight to the furnaces and she and her sister were sent together on several occasions there were situations that she and her sister would have and should have been separated and they managed to manipulate the system or trick the system or the system just shifted at the very last second and they managed to stay together through the very end Hmm. and when the troops came in and began to open the camps and rescue the people that were surviving. She and her sister were in a pile of bodies mm-hmm. that were left for, and she was left for dead. And most of them were gone. Wow. And in the moment that this soldier came near her and they were calling, if you're, if you're alive, raise your hand. And she couldn't even raise a finger and the willpower that she mustered up to grunt and to move a digit until somebody saw her and got Mm. her was how she survived it. And she is 90 and she just published this book. It took her this long. She's now a therapist, trauma therapist. Her story is so fascinating, but it's called the choice because her mother had a saying that she grew up, that she kept saying to her when they were going there, but she would also had said it to her her whole life, that you you always have everything you need to be okay. Everything you need is within you Mm -hmm. to be okay. And you always have a choice. And if anyone's read Viktor Frankl's Man Search for Meaning, he tells the story about this, about having choice and how sometimes his choice was to eat his water, his bread before he drank his water. And the next day he would eat, drink his water before he ate his bread, or he might walk counterclockwise when he went out on his walk one day and clockwise the next, but he always knew he had a choice and he practiced every day having a choice because Mm -hmm. when he gave up his choices, he gave up any reason to live. His hope was gone. Yeah. And she lost her hope in the middle of her life. And at some point she comes back to that message of hope it turns out that victor frankel she and victor frankel ended up meeting he sought her out she wrote a story about how they were so much alike in this concept and he sought her out oh wow Um, but the thing about it that really stuck with me was here is a woman the story is just remarkable it tells story after story after story of her survival and the things she did the risks she took the stamina that she mustered to survive the most horrific things. 
And that was not because she was just born with a whole lot of resilience. Mm -hmm. There was also that message. Her sister never took that message in. Mm -hmm. And her sister was very much a victim. And she was constantly complaining. But she would borrow from from her sister's hope. And the woman who wrote the book was constantly reminding herself that she had a choice. She could choose. She could choose to do something. Um, There is always a way forward. Mm -hmm. As long as we have breath, we have a way forward. Nothing will keep us from moving into hope and living in hope and living in our truth, really connected to ourselves. Our ability to grow emotionally even depends on knowing that we have choice in our lives, that no matter how bad things go, we have the the ability to choose. I always look at people who have lost a limb or lost use of their body through an accident or whatever. And the things that the athletes in the Special Olympics, the, the things that people accomplish after great loss of their physicality, I always look at that and think, God, I hope I would be that person. It scares me to think that I might be the person who just rolls over and dies and gives up. And I just think it's so inspirational to realize that we have the ability to choose our, uh, how we respond to victimization because most p- people will experience some level of it in their lifetime, some extreme and some not so extreme. I think that that resiliency that you're talking about, you know, not to be fatalistic, because as you mentioned, we all come into life with different levels of resiliency, which is the reason why some of us can can endure, you know, trauma with a capital T after trauma Mm -hmm. and still function well, where for other people, you know, a a small thing sets their life off course. And, you know, that's not a life sentence. You can build your resiliency even in adulthood. And if you are listening to this going, okay, I am that person. I am that fatalistic person who, when I don't find a good parking space, I feel like here we go again, Mm -hmm. right? You know, you have that victim narrative in your, in your brain based on things that have happened to you before you can, that is something you can address with therapy. There are actually a lot of therapies that address that, you know, kind of mental framework and you, you can't change the outcome of your life. We can't t- change the future. We can't give ourselves a life free of hardship, but we can change the way that we come at hardship and we can improve our resiliency, which is, you know, that's the best way to gird ourselves for Absolutely. the inevitable shit show that will come next year, you know? Absolutely. And the truth is, it's not a being victimized, no matter how severe that victimization is, is not a death sentence. It is not something yes. that requires you to become a victim. And it's that choice that allows you the ability to choose resilience, to build resilience, to develop it. We all have the ability to do that. And sometimes it's, it's kind of forced upon us. And sometimes we literally have to decide, am I going to focus on this or am I going to focus on this? Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that there aren't times when life feels so dark that you can't imagine how to get to the place that you could choose life. You could choose resilience. You could mm-hmm. choose 
strength. But that's why it's so crucial that we not do life alone. Yeah. That's why community is so important. And that's why therapy is so important. Yeah, I completely agree. Hey, thank you for joining us. Continue the self-care conversation with us on Instagram at at selfiepodcast and in the Selfie Podcast community group on Facebook. You can also visit our website to check out the resources we've talked about in each episode at selfiepodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to Selfie on iTunes so you can catch up with us next week. Take care. Take care.